Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Well, it's hard to believe it's our first year anniversary for the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show. We began our first episode on the first day of the initial lockdown of the pandemic. And throughout the year, we've had 52 different episodes on everything ranging from physical and mental health to personal stories and information from leading experts on different health conditions. We've learned to forage, meditate, take a break and kick diet culture. We've learned about the history of the East Coast Trail, how social media can harm our mental health and how athletes can improve their performance from the comfort of their own home. It's been an amazing diversity of conversations and I wanted to thank all of our listeners for allowing me to help guide you in your health. It's been a real privilege. So today we're gonna look back at the last six months of episodes and the key takeaways from some of our favorite guests. In the first part of the show, we'll look at exercise. Then we'll look at nutrition. In the third part of the show, we'll hear from some of our well-known guests from politics, media, and sports. And lastly, we'll cover what I think is one of the most important aspects of health, and that is mental health. So there's lots to cover. Let's get to it. In October, we went back to my roots of training and talked with my first mentor in the field, Ben Prentice, who's widely regarded as the best hockey strength coach around. He works with pros from all the NHL teams and is the strength consultant for the New York Rangers. He had some solid advice for all the young athletes listening out there. For young kids, stop worrying about the weight. You will get, you're not going to get strong by that way. You're, you're going to get strong if you have the patience. Now, it's hard because chances are in their gym, they're going to be the only one doing that. But in the long term, your, your hips, your shoulders, your groin will be far better if you can get full range of motion. Then when you get older, in your you know, early 20s, you'll be able to use load because you can then get into position. I can't tell you how many pros we have that I won't let squat because they can't get into that position. And it's, it's too late. It's too late. They're 27 years old. So we have to get split squats and step ups and things like that uh, because they can't get into the position. So elevating your heels is a good way to start to sort of take out your tight calves and to get full range of motion. But get rid of the ego and, and go for full range of motion would be number one. Number two would be, you know, really use that RPE and, and, and not go to failure all the time and leave some in the tank. And if you're young, you know, give yourself a day off after each training session. And then as you get older, you can sort of train back to back. But in the beginning, I think training every other day for, for younger athletes is much better. You'll get stronger, quicker, and you'll have more recovery. You know, I think those would be simple things that they can do that they probably don't want to do. You know, they want to chase the pump, so to speak. And, you know, you know, for younger kids that are interested in that, then, you know, give yourself 15 minutes at the end of a workout for quote unquote beach work. And then, you know, sort of eat your vegetables first and then have your dessert after. Awesome. I love that. That's great. And when you become, when you become a pro hockey player, they can come down and train with you. So then they're all set. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Compounding Ben's message was local sports training expert, John Reed, who's the director of Atlantic Pro Sports. He gave us his best tips for training in a recent episode. 
biggest one for me is no matter what sport, whatever you're doing in life, focusing on mobility, activation, and moving well. For me, like that's that's the biggest thing I preach is that whether you're a 55 year old recreational runner or you're trying to enter the NHL, movement patterns is crucial, and no one wants to go through life with lingering pain and, and injuries. So I think biggest takeaway: make that part of your routine. Focus on it. It's very very important. Uh, second, uh, you know, athlete development is is very. Uh, it's very interesting. There's a lot that come to it and you can't nowadays, you, I don't think you can expect to just play your sport and, and be successful. Like there's multiple components that, that are required and it's from the physical to the mental, to the nutrition piece. And I think that, you know, having a plan and working with various professionals are your best approach to becoming successful. And, you know, as an athlete, it's great if you do get success, but then taking that education with you for, for your life and, and passing on to your kids and your, and your grandkids and whatnot. So I think that's really important. And uh, other than that, I think just, you know, while we're at home, having a plan, stick to routine and making sure that, of course, it's, it's tough to, to stay on track sometimes, but it's, it's also very easy to fall into some, some maybe poor patterns and, and behavior. So focus on your health and at all times, you know, reaching out to people like myself and Mike, who are here, always here to help. Basketball star Carl English shared his story with us this year and talked about his role as a mentor for budding basketball players here in the province. He talked about how sports can positively impact our health and make us the best version of ourselves. Not everybody's going to be Carl English, but yes, I feel you can still be better than me. Or, you know, the Danny Clary's and the, you know, now we got the Dawson Mercer's of the world and Ryan Clough. Like the, these athletes are there, but it's, it's all in perspective. If I can teach a kid the game of basketball, fall in love with the game of basketball, and, you know, it becomes a huge part of them and, keeps them out of trouble and keeps them accountable, teach them how to be a teammate and how to play a role. Well, that's going to affect their life and their job after that. And if they're playing men's league at 25, because falling in love with basketball at my camp, great. If they go on to play CIS Memorial or, you know, somewhere across Canada, great. If then they turn and try to play pro with it and becomes a lifestyle. Amazing. So it's all about trying to get the maximum potential out of that person. Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it's, it's what's God given. You know, when you're, at, when you're in Toronto and you're in the States and you can pick from millions of people, you know, you can go and genetically say, well, that guy, let's teach him the game, you know, because he got all the genetic aspects and his feed, fast, exposure, power, everything. Mm -hmm. So now for that, it's more so, you know, trying to work with what we have mm -hmm. and to get the best version of that person possible whether that's in lifestyle, whether that's for basketball, hockey, I think that should be our goal as educators. That should be our goal as coaches is did we get the maximum out of subject A? Mm -hmm. Because subject A, B, and C are all different. Mm -hmm. you know? And so can we get the maximum ability out of him or out of her? And that should be our goal because LeBron James is LeBron James. He's a right. physical specimen. Yeah. I can't, you can't teach me to be LeBron James. It's just not possible. You know what I mean? <laughs> But you can try to get the maximum that I can get out of Mike or the maximum I can get out of Carl if we, if we teach it and, and train him correctly. And that's, that's right. my point. Coach Chris Wilson from Critical Bench has over 100 million YouTube views on his fitness channel. He shared what we need to do at any age and any fitness level to get the most out of our exercise programs. This is moving the body through its fullest range of motion safely. Uh, no matter your age and no matter what load you're working with, mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody who's 75 can still do a deadlift. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think that's the number one exercise for anyone at any age to ever do. Mm -hmm. It depends on what, what apparatus are they working with and how much weight is it? Maybe, uh, maybe somebody who's 75 should just do a deadlift with a 20 pound dumbbell sitting up on its side.
mm-hmm. you know, versus someone who's 20 who can deadlift for reps with, you know, 315 pounds and do it well. Um, and if you're, if you are that 20 year old who's doing it well, there's a very good chance if you are consistent and stay active that you're going to be that 75 year old. Cause I know I'm going to be mm-hmm. who's still deadlifting and still trying to, uh, maintain a certain level of, of strength. Well, it, yeah. If somebody says, why does the senior citizen need to be able to deadlift? It's like, well, a garbage bag coming out of the garbage can at your house, if you live by yourself, weighs 20 pounds. And if you lift it properly, you're doing a deadlift. As you <laughs> That's that right. Yeah. It's, it's right. If you have a cat and you have to pick up cat litter, if you buy water at the grocery store, a, 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 you know, a big package of water bottles, it, that, that, could, that could be 40 pounds. Mm-hmm. So it all depends on uh, on how much, again, you want uh, to, that freedom in your life, that independence in your life where you can do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think most of us want to hold on to that as long as we possibly can, because mm-hmm. that's what I want for myself. And I know that's that the clients I've always worked with want for themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they want to be able to be uh, in control of their of their day to day and not have to be uh, relying on someone else to facilitate things for them in life. We were sure to talk about exercise in a variety of populations and even special circumstances like pregnancy. So we called Dr. Justine Spencer all the way out in BC to share some tips for expecting and new moms when it comes to staying active. If there was a drug that does what exercise does, everyone would be on it and the person who created it would be absolutely rich. What I do is actually write a prescription for exercise and I will talk about exercise to my non-pregnant people and to my pregnant people because it's important to all stages of your life. Well, let's, let's keep on top of the exercise real quick, just about like, you know, not only do they get the physical benefits, but there's also the mental benefits. When somebody has a child and they're at home and they're under new stress and there's a new a newborn, how valuable is getting out and going for a walk and, and not only for the baby, but for the, ch- for the mother as well? I can't tell you how often I hear that when they got out for a walk, they felt better. And for so many reasons. One, it's the chemicals in the brain, the neurotransmitters that that lead to well feeling well feelings of well-being. Uh, they increase when you exercise. And then you're also getting out and and engaging with the world, which is I think really important. When you're at home with your new baby, you feel like you're alone. So getting out there, connecting with others, connecting with the world, connecting with your body is incredibly important. We're celebrating our first year anniversary of The Wall Show with a recap from some of our favorite episodes. When we come back, we'll look at some of the amazing nutrition advice our guests shared with us. We all know we are what we eat. So to find out how we should face nutrition in a healthy way, we reached out to our friends from research, dietetics, and those that have succeeded in improving their health. In this first segment, we spoke with Dr. Lori Twells from Memorial University about the new obesity guidelines and how they aim to improve outcomes for patients by addressing the real issues behind obesity. So I would say the real focus on the previous set of guidelines based on the evidence to that point would have been very much a focus on what we kind of call in the field, the eat less, move more kind of mantra. So a patient comes into a physician's office, um, they're potentially uh, struggling with with weight issues, Um, they have extra weight on and their health is impaired. 
um, the, the sort of evidence or the, the, I guess the recommendations 15 years ago would have been around, you know, just get, you need to do some more exercise. You need to get out and do more, or you need to stop eating, you know, very simple recommendations to people, which really were unhelpful then actually. Um, and I guess over time, what we've seen through research that's been done on, on populations is just very unhelpful in general. Um, because obesity as a, as a chronic condition is just so much more complex than the simple get out, do more, eat less. Um, what we know from 15 years of research is that diets actually work. Um, if you go on a restrictive commercial diet, um, which has actually been developed to restrict the calories that, you know, your, your sort of regular set of calories that you might eat on a daily basis, you will lose weight. Um, and most of the research shows that in terms of, in fact, when you compare diets, one's not better than the other. Um, they all come out pretty much the same. People will lose weight. Um, but the reality is the, the relationship is very much like a U or a B. You lose weight, you come off the diet, you gain the weight back. Like Dr. Twell said, the yo-yo effect of diets is proven and we need to adopt different approaches towards nutrition. To share a relatively new philosophy in healthy eating, we talked with Lorna DiPetrello, who's a registered dietitian and intuitive eating expert. She shared why we have to kick the diet culture and learn to have healthy relationships with our food. So intuitive eating is, it's a new concept that people are adopting. It is a validated evidence-based behavioral model that is implemented as a structure to help people move away from diet culture and move away from just gimmicks, weight-centered. So it, it moves more into a behavioral-focused um, model for intervention. And there are 10 different elements that we look at. So diet culture is something that is primarily based with weight. So when we focus on a weight-based implication for health, it gets very tangly there because our weight is not behavioral change. And now the new obesity guidelines are definitely shifting away from saying we need to, to lose weight and then your health will become more of a pattern or, or, or more of an implication for a positive lifestyle moving forward. And it just doesn't work that way. So trying to create more of a behavioral change for lifestyle, looking at health from a whole body perspective, mind, body, spirit, and moving away from a diet. So there's so many different things, of course, that we know in every year, there's something new right now. We have intermittent fasting. We've got keto, which used to be active. So all of these different ways to look at getting weight off where people measure happiness and health with weight. So really trying to take that back. We know that diets, more and more research is coming out that diets just simply create a pattern for weight regain. It mm -hmm. plays havoc with the resting metabolic rate. We've got the obesity journal in 2016 that took participants from the biggest loser and 14 out of those 16 participants regain weight. We've got the twin study, the Minnesota mini starvation study. We've got you know, more and more evidence that's coming up to show that we just simply regain the weight and the body is just, it always will to reboot and play havoc with trying to just get weight loss. So mm -hmm. moving away from the diet culture and happiness in your weight. So more about, you know, cliche, loving who you are, 
but really building behaviors and lifestyles around where you are now. During our holiday special, registered dietitian Adriana Smallwood shared some important tips for eating right during an especially challenging time of year when it comes to nutrition. She stressed the importance of not skipping meals and allowing ourselves to indulge just a little so that we could enjoy the holiday season but keep balance at the same time. I think everybody's busy. So I, I find the biggest thing is that people end up skipping meals. So then the only food they end up having might be that you know, treat in the evening or like a big supper where it might be a potluck and there might not be as many healthy options available. So, you know, really finding the time to make sure that you're not skipping those meals and you're getting the good nutrition during the day. So those extra little calories in the nighttime don't really matter. And the other thing too, I find is that if you're skipping meals, you end up overindulging. So you're going to be end up eating more of those, we'll say unhealthy air quotation foods because you're starving and that's the only food available. So, you know, it's better to make sure you're pacing yourself throughout the day. So when you get to that, you know, those treats, you're only having little bits and having proper portions as opposed to like way too much food. Sometimes we don't celebrate our successes as much as we should. So to share their amazing stories of health transformation, we had my friends Derek Bishop and our own VOCM host Greg Smith on to talk about how they were able to make incredible changes to their lifestyle and improve their health. They shared some of their key nutrition tips with us. So let's check it out. What were some of the barriers you faced? Undoubtedly, you had some things that really sort of set you back and you had to recover from. Uh, a lot of the challenging things that I dealt with was um, in terms of food, um, the cravings for certain foods, uh, trying to understand why my body was craving certain foods, um, trying to, to get rid of the craving for certain things, certain foods and, and replacing with other certain foods such as bananas, orange, apples, fruits. The other challenge was to try to continue eating all day. I know mm. this sounds strange, but I, I, you just don't stop at breakfast. Mm. Breakfast is an important meal of the day and it's, it's a power meal. You eat a, a fairly large breakfast and you're, you're pretty much good to get to, to lunchtime. Um, but during between you, you kind of want to have a snack. So instead of having a bag of chips, instead of having this, which I used to do, now I have an apple. So the challenge there was to, to actually take the apple and enjoy the apple and feel full with that apple. Mm. Did you find that you, uh, the more you migrated away from those other foods, the less you crave them? Yes, I did. Mm. I mean, most, most foods these days are, that are manufactured or processed are, are meant to try to make you crave them so that you actually want them more. An apple doesn't do that. There's no, nothing in an apple that makes you want to have an apple except for the fact that you want to have an apple. <laughs> yeah. Whereas other foods give you sugars where your body craves sugars and craves uh, different, different things that they processed into the food. That can be challenging. It's, it's, uh, I mean, you know, we talk about people who have addictions. The reason it is an addiction is because of all the processed stuff that goes into a food that makes us crave it and want it more. And one of the biggest things, another challenge I had was I, I had to try to figure out how I was going to uh, make my diet better for me. Because just because some person decides that a diet is good for them, for, for people, doesn't mean it's going to be good for me. So one of the things I found is instead of going directly into a diet, I just, I kind of weaned my way into a diet. So I, I decided to take my snacks and try to figure out snacks 
then I worked on my breakfast, then I worked on my lunch, and then I worked on my supper. So basically, at the end of the day, I was working on all three of my meals, plus I was having healthy snacks. Yeah. Which, because, uh, you know, I, I always equate it to, I don't like jumping into the pool, so why would I like jumping into a diet? <laughs> now let's hear from VOCM's own Greg Smith. Did you start with diet or exercise or like combo of, or how did you? Yeah, it was mostly diet, to be honest. I mean, and and the way you say it, you got to find something that works for you. And that's the key, I think, the message there, right? So I I did a little bit of research over the Christmas period and saying, well, what can I do? And I discovered this app on my phone called MyFitnessPal. And it basically, yeah, it counts your calories. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start right there. I'm going to track everything I'm eating every day. Uh, you know, set the goal for two pounds per week to drop. And uh, I basically did that for six months. I just tracked everything. I weighed everything, uh, you know, realized how much calorie we're into, say, dressing on salads. And my wife makes fun of me now, but, like, I barely put any dressing on salads now because I just feel like it's a waste of calories, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's just the way that I did it. And uh, I didn't really, you know, deprive myself of anything. I just made sure that I did it in moderation and, and counted everything and, when I started seeing those results, man, it was like, it was, I was hooked, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, on that topic of that, uh, you know, it's a lot of work to begin with, but, you know, using an app like that, your, your most frequently eaten foods stay at top of the, the list. So that's easy to access. But I think that with that, people start to learn what's in food and, and people don't realize that they also realize like the nutrient types and then the timing and how many calories after the day, what was the biggest sort of light bulb that it, it hit with that? The light bulb thing when it came to dieting was just how, how much waste, I guess, I was like, you know, you eat a burger and it's like 900 calories, but you could have a salad and chicken. It was like not even a third of that, you know? Right, and it's right. just like, wow, like if I plan better, I could probably eat more, but still cut down the calories, you know? It's the one year anniversary of The Wall Show and we're looking back at some of our favorite episodes. So far, we've looked at nutrition and exercise. When we come back, we're going to chat with some of our local personalities who have a passion for improving the health of our province. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're celebrating our one-year anniversary of The Wall Show by looking back at some of our favorite episodes and most insightful highlights. In this segment, we'll talk with local well-known personalities about why they feel health is important to us here in the province. First up, we talk with four of the province's wellness ambassadors, starting with a familiar voice to all of us, and that's Patty Daly, host of Open Line. Let's see what he had to say. This is a pretty big program that RecNL has launched now. There's going to be a lot of social messages going out on different mediums. What do you hope that we accomplish as a population as a result of this? Well, I hope that everyone who uh, follows along can find someone that they relate to, hear some messaging that works for them, because there's not a one-size-fits-all in this world, especially when we're talking about the big, broad strokes of mental and physical wellness. So I just hope that more and more people who maybe will be able to say to themselves, you know what, if there's folks out there who are so-called known commodities, people that they recognize their name and some of their past accomplishments or their professional status, you know, to bear your soul and realize that there's someone inside of us for ambassadors who are just like you are. You know, there could be people who are excelling and people that need to get back onto a better uh, level of footing. So for everyone who's following along and listening to this particular program, 
regardless if you need someone to do with you, someone to give you that kick in the backside, someone's uh, habits to emulate, whatever the case may be, hopefully you can find that message that makes us all a bit more mobile, uh, do away with some of our sedentary behaviors. And absolutely, and I think key is that there's a lot of real good mental stability and state of well-being that comes with this bit of physical activity. So hopefully in conjunction, people find a place to land that works for them and you needn't go take full leaps and register for the Boston Marathon. But, you know, any of those small steps that makes you feel better, consequently a bit more emotional control, maybe sleep a little bit better, and maybe to think that maybe you can skateboard someday like Jody Cook. <laughs> That's a goal. I've been to the skate park with her and she's better than me. Like Patty said, we all hope to be as athletic as our next guest, Jody Cook, host of the Sunday News on NTV. She's an adventure athlete extraordinaire, but shared how having an active family has helped keep her on track because no matter how good we are, sometimes we all need a bit of motivation. How important is it for the family unit to stay active? Yeah, well, it's about accountability, right? And, it, you know, before you and I started this interview, I had to have a little chuckle because I, I really haven't left my house in a week. And it's it's certainly not for a lack of trying. I know that uh, it, things were really busy for us this week. There was a lot of new developments, um, especially on the COVID front for journalists. But my husband was saying, Jody, I'm going for a walk and you can join me. You don't have to if you don't want to, but this is on the table. And right now, as I have this interview with you, he's he's stretching in the basement. And so, I'm, you know, we've already made a, a plan for or a ski walk later on this week. So it's really about accountability. And if one person isn't quite feeling like getting out the door because you're just not motivated, the other person in the household is usually there to pick that up. And I think that that's why it's important to have a friend if you're just going to decide that you want to get outside the accountability factor uh, or just working out in general or even just being active in general, the accountability factor is a huge one because it's not always easy to motivate yourself. I get it. And I am probably one of the uh, the biggest people complicit in that. It's hard <laughs> sometimes to get, you know, to get off the couch when you're just too tired. Rod Snow has competed at the highest levels of professional sports and throughout his journey, he's evolved what wellness means to him. He's one of RecNL's wellness ambassadors and shared how wellness includes the whole spectrum of body, mind, and soul. Any closing advice for folks just about, you know, taking their wellness seriously? No, I think sometimes we think it's a little bit kind of uh, uh, not concrete. I'll use the term airy-fairy to think about, you know, mind, body, and soul, but it's really not. The body piece is easy. I mean, we think about our bodies. We understand the physical activity is going to, uh, to help our body. But we sometimes forget that activities, whether they're physical or even reading a book or going for a drive, those things do help your overall wellness. They help your soul. They help your mind. And that's part of recreation as well. It's not just the physical part. So I think that, you know, you really got to be uh, open yourself up to, to what wellness is. For me, uh, though it was always about physical activity, I've certainly learned more recently and later in life that it's not just about the physical activity piece, but it is about the, uh, the mental piece and the, uh, and, the, and the soul part of it as well. Being a star on Broadway involves a lot of physical and mental stamina. Petrina Bromley, star of Come From Away, joined us to share her perspective on healthy living and how she stays active here at home. I'll tell you right now, I always feel better after I do anything, whether it's just a little stretch, a little yoga, get on my treadmill and walk. Even if I don't run, I walk. Uh, I always feel better afterwards. The hardest part is getting my lazy butt up off the couch. That little mental battle inside your head where you're like, I'm gonna, but uh, not now, I'm gonna do this first. 
that if you can uh, talk yourself up off the couch and get yourself started, you're headed down a good road. So just kick yourself, get up off the couch so you can kick yourself in that butt that won't get off the couch and get working. There's no better spokesperson for the city of St. John's than our mayor, the Honorable Danny Breen. So it's not surprising that he was the one who opened our holiday episode on acts of kindness. He shares what he witnessed in our capital city during a trying year that ended up bringing out the best in a lot of us. You know, I, I would say thank you, but I know that those people do that uh, with, without thanks. It just comes natural. It's just the way we are. It's in our DNA here. And uh, we, just, uh, we, we just look out for each other. And if there was ever a year that you had to look out for each other and stay safe, this was the year to do it. So I just want to thank all the residents for making me proud to be mayor of St. John's. Um, just the way that we've come through the adversity we've faced this year and uh, the way that we've done it with our, with our usual sense of humor and our usual compassion for others is truly heartwarming. Premier Andrew Fury is no stranger to the world of health. He's also an orthopedic surgeon and understands the healthcare system and challenges we're facing here in the province. He talked about what we need to do as a province to improve our health and healthcare system. Well, you know, Newfoundland and Labrador faces tremendous challenge in in, uh, in healthcare. It's no secret we uh, spend the most money per capita on healthcare out of any province. And as I've said many times, look, if we were all living to be 120 and playing tennis and had active, healthy lifestyles, then by any stretch that is a good return on investment of those healthcare dollars mm. unfortunately the reality is the exact opposite we're spending the most per person per year in healthcare in canada yet we have the highest burden of disease the lowest life expectancy and some of the lowest quality of life in our senior years mm. so there represents not just a, uh, an economic challenge but uh, an incredible social challenge as well so what we need to do is figure out a way to uh, to reinvest and invest in the social determinants of health. Mm. So things like active healthy living, smoking cessation, uh, exercise, uh, these are the things that we need to be encouraging and teaching our, our children so that they develop and grow into active healthy lifestyles and then that will pay a dividend down the road. That's an economic equation that plays out over time. There's no question about that. But if you don't plant the seed for the tree, it will never grow. And we need to figure out how to do that now so that future generations do not carry both the economic and the health burden that our current aging population carries. We've all been hearing from our Minister of Health, the Honorable John Hagee, almost daily for the last year. To promote the flu campaign here in the province, he came on the show and shared why he thinks health information is so important to all of us. No, I, I'd just like to thank you for your interest, Mike. I mean, I think it's it's programs like this that help us educate and inform. And as you've said, I think that's been one of our strengths. Uh, when we know stuff, we put it out there. Um, the conspiracy theorists will say what they will say, but the vast majority of people I speak to are pleased that we share what we know as we know it. It's caused us problems because at one stage we said, well, you know, there's no evidence about masks or we won't do this with travel. And then at the end of the day, we have had to adapt because that's what the science told us. I think programs like this that keep that dialogue going uh, and uh, are a route for people to, to learn 
Uh, and I'd just like to thank you and actually everybody for, for stepping up because we are where we are because of what you know, the Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have done to help themselves and their neighbors. We're celebrating our one year anniversary of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show by looking back at some of our favorite episodes and guests. When we come back, we'll talk mental health with our experts ranging from the science of love to PTSD, the risks of social media, work-life balance, and how to deal with life crises through choosing a positive attitude. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to the one-year anniversary of The Wall Show. In this final segment, we'll recap some of my favorite clips when it comes to the topic of mental health. For a special Valentine's Day episode, we were joined by Harvard professor and psychologist, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who talked about what makes lasting love in a relationship. Over, uh, over the ages, there have been lots of different ways of describing different phases of love. But the one that has really held up uh, the longest and actually begins with the ancient Greeks, I don't know what their language was, but these days people talk about passionate uh, versus companionate love. That uh, in, in the early stages of love, it's filled with passion. And often later, the, the, the passion recedes somewhat and the, uh, the connection is more of companionship and uh, less stormy, uh, less, less passionate uh, sense of uh, being involved and engaged with someone. And, and that really has held up. And that probably is what's being described in these studies of early uh, stressful parts of love and later uh, calmer parts of love. On the other hand, you know, one of the things that sounds a little depressing about that as a, a model, if it's seen as an inevitable one, is is that uh, so are we all doomed if we stay in relationships to just tread water in a, a companionate state uh, with, without a sense of passion towards each other again? And uh, I think my own observations working with lots of couples is the answer to that is no, that having a love relationship doesn't mean that you continue devoid of any passionate attachment to uh, to each other. And uh, there is at least not one study confirming that that's true in which a group looked at in those fMRIs mm. of people who answered an ad that essentially said, are you still passionately in love with your partner of many years? Something mean, like that. And they did fMRIs uh, with them looking at the uh, supposed object of continued passion after many years. And a lot of things actually did look like the brain scans of people in early love. So um, that's excellent. It, it's not an, ev an inevitable decline into, uh, into lack of passion. Next up, we talk with Bailey Parnell, whose TED Talk on practicing safe social media went viral with millions of views. She walks us through how we can better manage our social media in a way that's not detrimental to our mental health. Let's check it out. If I'm listening, what are some action? I mean, you talked about, you know, uh, being more cognizant of your feed and designing it, which I've never heard designing your feed. I think that's brilliant. Obviously, that's what you do for a living, but I love that concept. Um, what are some action items we can do like today if we want to start making some changes? So I'm definitely I ended with the very long term, high level things that we can do, like making this a, a point of importance with our, our politicians, as you've seen in the last few weeks, regulating big data and big tech. But the sort of everyday things we can do, how can we ourselves practice safe social is start 
by, well, go to safesocialmedia.co and follow the steps there. That's going to be the easiest way. And there's a lot of free assessments there. Like, am I addicted to social media? And um, am I a good safe social role model? Those are all there. And then you might think, okay, well, you know, am, do I feel that I'm on social media too much in a day? And there's very possible that based on how many listeners you have, there are people that think, I don't think I am. And actually I have a very good time on social media. And if you've completed step one, you understand about it and you think I'm good, that is okay too. I'm not, I don't want you to create problems where there's not, but I do want you to understand that oh, there's a lot of people that are not good right now. And so if you are doing good, maybe you become an ambassador of this message and you help people understand that um, if you want to use less, did you even know that you can set time limits? You know, the 16 year olds know this very well these days, but well, sometimes I still go into parent rooms or educator rooms and they're like, really? I didn't know that. So it might be seem like an obvious thing to some of us, but to many others, maybe you didn't know that could that you could eliminate certain words from being allowed on your photos, your comments in Instagram. So if there's certain words, you know, you never want to see the B word, the C word, you can actually completely eliminate those. If you're someone who's public, maybe being harassed, maybe you decide, you know, I don't want to wake up to my phone anymore and you get a real alarm clock. <laughs> but, yeah. the, but the thing is, I you have to ask yourself because I, my phone is my alarm clock and I like to read the news when I mm -hmm. wake up in the morning mm -hmm. and I have at least reflected, you know, does this positively affect my life? And I've deduced that that has, mm -hmm. there's other things that haven't. Sometimes I realize like, okay, if I want to do some deep thought work or focus work in my business, I need to kind of turn the phone over or put it away mm -hmm. out of sight, out of mind. That would be practicing safe social. So again, practicing safe social or any of the strategies you you make to get more of the benefits of social media and mitigating those risks like frustration and stuff. Newfoundland and Greg Smythe, founder of Global NL, shared his approach to work-life balance with a busy life in Silicon Valley, California. He shared why having mental health supports improve his resilience and make him better able to handle the challenges of a busy life. I think if I can talk about mental health too, I think it's something I've been much more open about recently that, you know, I've dealt with anxiety since I was like probably a little kid, but I didn't think it was like something I needed to say deal with, but it was, I just thought it was a kid that worried a lot maybe. Yeah. Um, but like starting to confront it and deal with it has been like amazing. It's like, it's improved the quality of my life and like, and uh, there's all these tools like I kind of just talked about that help you deal with it. And then even being more open about it kind of just, and you realize kind of everyone or a lot of people are going through some form of it or certainly at different stages in their life, go through some, some challenge like that. Um, and, and having tools or support systems that can help you cope or deal with it through those stages is really important. Cause like if you don't have those tools in place beforehand, like that's when eating alcohol, like stimulants, like all those things kind of tend to be the crutch that, and you know, I still have some of those crutches myself, but having tools and people around you to support through that stage is like super, super important. Carolyn Hapgood is a trained counselor who's migrated to a new approach of tension releasing exercises for our most vulnerable populations. In her interview, she shared how individuals dealing with PTSD benefit from movement as a means of improving mental health. Yeah. And you deal with a lot of people with, with some serious, you know, trauma as well. I think you do work mm -hmm. with like the military and some other first responders. Can you tell yes. me a little bit about how that benefits those populations? Absolutely. Yeah. So 
in particular, first responders, military personnel, you know, people who uh, end up very quickly being in highly charged environments, we'll say, mm-hmm. or witnessing very traumatic uh, scenes. You know, that can leave an imprint uh, in, in the mind, in the body. It can basically overall leave an imprint. And um, some people struggle with memories of an incident. Other people don't necessarily struggle in that fashion, but they're walking around in the world, walking through life in a highly charged body. Mm-hmm or a completely disconnected body. So we can go one way or the other. We can become hyper aroused or hypo aroused where you sort of, you you become more flat Mm -hmm. than than normal. But in either example, your nervous system is not balanced anymore. Yes. So that predominantly happens more in people who experience trauma or high stress uh, situations uh, on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So first responders, you know, can uh, some of them see some of these things daily or their nervous system has to be ramped up to react and help and um, on a daily basis. You, so, yeah, so well, the nervous system can get stuck there then. In this final message, we hear from my close friend, Jason Power, who eloquently summarized our lives in 2020 and 2021. In March of last year, he was diagnosed with glioblastoma, a terminal form of brain cancer. In facing his challenge, he chose to have a positive outlook even against the most daunting of challenges. His message of seeking help and giving love is one that I want to leave you with as we finish up today's show. One of the most efficient words in the human language is probably help. If you scream help in any situation, people are going to know that you need something. It could be a blanket because you're cold. It could be a blanket because there's a fire. It could be a blanket because you need a rope to pull you up or let you down or whatever. But help is very, very, very efficient. Don't be stubborn and too strong as to think you don't need help. And if you ever find yourself in a situation where you don't need help on anything, then there's another four-letter word you should use, and that's love. So if you don't need help, give love. Love your way out of stuff. It is, the, it is the most beautiful way of solving problems for you and someone else. It's the most gratifying way of moving on. It's the most gratifying way of gaining closure, you know, is, is to, to use love. So maybe, maybe the lesson is we all needed some help in 2020. And a lot of us gave it and a lot of us received it and a lot of us shared it and a lot of us expected it of a government Maybe you got it, maybe you didn't. Um, But do me a favor, if you find yourself no longer needing help, give love. Don't don't necessarily think you gotta give help back and you gotta one up it or you gotta repay the favor of the karma or whatever. Um, You can receive one thing and give another. And I think I received so much love in 2020 with texts. I've got a friend in Ireland who sends me a joke a day. I can count because he's got a great sense of humor. I can count on having a laugh every day. Mm-hmm. I can count on having a laugh every day. I can count on four family members telling me every day that they love me and asking me if I'm okay. Mm-hmm. It gives me an outlet 
to share what's going on in my life, but it also allows me to be this big giant net to catch that love that's coming back at me as well. Right. So uh, if if you need a, a closing remark or a closing statement, yeah. it allow yourself to receive that help. Um, and, and if you are so fortunate as you think you don't need any more, um, give love. Thank you for joining me today and throughout the year. We've had some amazing guests and tackled some really important health issues this year. Thank you to all my guests who've taken the time to be on the show and share their amazing expertise. Also, thank you to our sponsors and to VOCM for allowing me to share these messages. If you want to stay up to date on what's next, you can find us on social media at The Wall Show. That's W-A-H-L Show. Well, that's our show this week. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for the first episode of our second season of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.